Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we try to cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. On this episode of the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, we examine the strange and extremely interesting story of Randy Nord, plus the latest developments in Russia's war of choice in Ukraine, the NAACP's travel advisory for Florida, and we attempt to get some perspective on the question of whether Donald Trump is a fascist. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating and a review on the app that you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe at didnothingwrongpod.com to get our content straight into your inbox. All of our work is free, but we're extremely grateful for paid subscriptions and donations that ensure that we can keep doing this important work. Thank you. Before we get started, just a quick bit of housekeeping. We're doing a survey to see what you'd like more of on the Did Nothing Wrong pod, and we're giving out stickers if you respond. We'll also be drawing three names at random for your choice of a free shirt or a coffee mug. Just go to our website at didnothingwrongpod.com and look for the survey tab at the top. It's that easy. Thanks again for your support, and now, on with the show. There's a really weird and disturbing story out of Michigan. This is according to the Detroit News. A woman accused of spray painting anti-Semitic graffiti at the Woodward Avenue Shul Jewish Center in Royal Oak last week has been charged, police said. Randy Lucille Nord was arraigned Wednesday through 44th District Court in Royal Oak, records show. She was charged with ethnic intimidation, a felony carrying a maximum penalty of two years in prison and a $5,000 fine, and malicious destruction of a building, a misdemeanor with a maximum penalty of 93 days in jail and a fine three times the amount of the destruction, police said. A swastika symbol and the letters Azov were spray-painted on the side of the building on April 27th. So, as the article points out, the word Azov means leave in Hebrew, but of course Azov is a popular boogeyman for Russian state propaganda. They attempt to paint all Ukrainians as Nazis because some early members of Ukraine's Azov battalion had far-right beliefs. Azov has since cleaned up their act, but again, this Kremlin trope remains a common talking point. It seems likely that based on her history, Randy Nord was trying to stir up some anti-Ukraine sentiment. That's certainly how it looks. And again, according to the Detroit Jewish News, quote, she said she planned to do as many hate crimes as possible and blame them on Azov. Unquote. Royal Oak Detective Dan Pelletier testified at Nord's bail hearing. Well, that is a bit strange indeed. So can we talk a little bit about why this woman is doing this? Is this one of those false flags we keep hearing about? Hmm. I'm pretty sure everything is a false flag or a psyop, but <laughs> is it a is it a fake one or is it a real one? Mm. Now we're getting into deep internet uh, folklore here, but yeah, <laughs> it's it's hard to say for sure. But there there are a lot of warning signs here with Randy Nord's history of spreading pick an authoritarian nation, right? Kremlin mm -hmm. propaganda, Chinese state-run media propaganda, Iranian, Syrian, Venezuelan, even some North Korean talking points. Damn. And there's a lot on, on Yemen, which is, again, a 
lefty cause that has been aided by the same sort of usual suspects from a from a pro Kremlin, anti U.S. The, the CIA and the Saudi government did it all and, mm-hmm. and did everything wrong essentially. So <laughs> this provocation of spray painting Azov, it's rather textbook. Russian intelligence services have been doing this for over a hundred years. And I feel like Randy Nord's story is pretty familiar. I, I think it's, it's worth mentioning that she has a criminal history that includes convictions for assault and battery, fourth degree fleeing and eluding, as well as operating while intoxicated. That was the report that I read. I'm assuming that means operating some sort of vehicle while intoxicated, but it didn't specify. Yeah, this doesn't seem like we've got a medical degree or anything like this going anytime (laughs) soon, really. No offense, Randy, if you're listening. Yeah, well, look no further than someone like convicted pedophile Scott Ritter to, as as the (laughs) (laughs) obvious example of, hey, you're a down-on-your-luck convicted criminal, and what do you do? Well, sometimes the answer is push propaganda for authoritarian regimes. (laughs) And so Nord kind of unsurprisingly was the founder of one such site called Geopolitics Alert, which described itself as supplying independent world news. And as a lot of anti-American blame the CIA for everything bad in the world, alternate news sources often do. We scrolled through that a little bit and geopolitics alert. Yeah, it's it's very familiar looking site. Yeah, it really is. And the topics are kind of all over the place, but it feels like they're always eventually pointing in the same direction. <laughs> uh, the, the articles Nord published often deal with Yemen, which I already mentioned, and it's pro-Palestinian, but sometimes more than pro-Palestine, it's anti-Israel and gets to that point of, are you, do you, do you have a problem with the state of Israel or the fact that Jews exist and Hmm. that it sometimes can be a rather murky line. And, and there's the pro Venezuelan articles that we've (laughs) seen. Hugo Chavez did nothing wrong. And now more recently, Nicolas Maduro did nothing wrong. Absolutely. Uh, He says with (laughs) the, Wagner mercenaries in the background, making sure he's secure in the palace. But in any case, uh, that's a whole other topic, but it's a thing Russian mercenaries have recently been in Venezuela because they know how to help each other out. And sometimes that comes in the form of actual boots on the ground. And sometimes it's the form of propaganda, which we see here. So Nord has echoed a lot of familiar Russian positions on internet sovereignty. And she knows how to hit the talking points of authoritarian regime. She even claimed that Cuba's medicine was so advanced, they had developed a cancer vaccine, which is obviously ludicrous. (laughs) That is indeed quite the mix of propaganda, like you said earlier, but These are all very familiar left-wing positions going back to the days of the Soviet Union. Yeah, it really is. Uh, It's like she's a (laughs) one-woman code pink or something. Uh, But she's she's basically running a clearinghouse for anti-American propaganda. She's written articles for Mint Press, the site that's best known for publishing pro-Assad war crimes denialism in Syria. She has also been published by Iranian state media, such as Press TV and the Tehran Times. And she frequently appeared as a guest on Russian state-owned Sputnik with 
more of the usual suspects. Huge did nothing wrong. Shout out to Twitter user US Hadrons, who has been all over this one. And we'll link to their threads on Randy Nord in the show notes as well. They are a must follow. I would highly recommend you go follow that person right now. All of these people claim to be far left and anti-imperialist, but... When you look at the content, it's the usual mix of Russia, China, Syria, Venezuela, Cuba, North Korea, did nothing wrong takes. Yeah, I've probably read these type of junk news articles hundreds of times, and it's it's really pretty identical to every other site in the ecosystem. If you told me this was a Russian troll factory creation, I wouldn't have found that difficult to believe because nope. at times it's... It's rather indistinguishable uh, from the stuff they were really putting out in 2015, 16, 17. And, and they've kind of pivoted since then. But it's the same idea. Gray Zone, Fort Russ, Mint Press, Zero Hedge. The U.S. is bad. The CIA did it. Barack Obama is a war criminal. Biden wants to start World War Three. It's a lot of the same content, a lot of the same writers. And it just keeps that consistent mm -hmm. editorial slant. And the most recent incident comes after she spent some time in Serbia where she started a consulting firm. It's really weird. We're not quite sure why anybody would pay the kind of money she's asking for her insights, but who knows? Uh, do you think they paid in rubles or <laughs> or in Bitcoin? Yeah. Great question. Monero. Is that, that's still a thing. Right? Uh, I think so. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but as we know, Serbia is one of the few places left in Europe with a very vocal pro-Russia, pro-Kremlin population. So it does make sense to go to a place with a built-in network of fellow travelers. And like we said, it's definitely a really good way to pay somebody for something can be defined a whole lot of different ways, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. And I, I did want to say with this spray painting Azov and trying to essentially blame Ukraine for some sort of spike in hate crimes, we always wonder what goes on or what happens to somebody's brain that they've decided that this is a good idea. And we never really know. It is odd that she very quickly gave the game away and admitted to what she was doing. And then there's that question of, okay, well, did somebody tell you to do this? Have you radicalized yourself? Did you just get convinced this was a good idea somehow? Who knows? Mm -hmm. But it's such a familiar story and it just makes you wonder what sort of dark places these people go to. But in any case, Randy Nord got to uh, kind of travel the world. We aren't entirely sure how she was getting paid mm -hmm. uh, or from whom. It's really often unclear how these people make rent, but they seem to do just fine. There is a really amazing piece written by uh, Bob from Broccoli that traces all these various connections between Randy Nord and the groups she's worked with. And, and some of them are just straight up Russian intelligence fronts. Even her, her banner on her Twitter profile was from a Soviet travel agency that was actually run by the KGB. So it, it's, <laughs> it's uh, not all that hidden uh, operation. When people tell you who they are, if you have a vague understanding of the type of people you're dealing with, you take one look and, oh, yeah, okay, I see that. 
Yeah, that piece is really great. You should go read it. It's pretty mind-blowing, the amount of people and outlets that are cited. And you'll have to picture the big air quotes I'm making right now around anti-imperialist movement she's worked with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like Russia's uh, war of choice in Ukraine is all about anti-imperialism, because the the Russians trying to Mm -hmm. destroy the Ukrainian state and identity are not the imperialists. It's actually the US and the CIA and don't think too hard of it. But Putin said it's fine. So it's fine. Um, (laughs) As long as it's some country in the so-called axis of resistance doing the imperialism. Hey, no problem. Her stuff even got picked up by indicted and sanctioned Russian fixer Alexander Viktorovich Ionov, who published four articles written by Randy Nord on his Stop Imperialism website. These four articles were previously published on Nord's Geopolitics Alert website and or Mint Press News, which fully goes to illustrate just how much crossover there is amongst these groups and people. Yeah, they love to republish each other's posts. And it's all about getting as many eyeballs on their propaganda as possible. Really, it it is kind of funny how much American domestic junk news sources have copied this model. And it and it's so there's so much overlap with how they put out their junk news. It's like it, it does become a question of whose idea was this in the first place. But it's it's all about getting higher up in the Google algorithm and the search results, more people seeing it. And hmm. and that's how they think they win. But yeah, we've covered Alexander or Sasha as he goes by Ionov. Before And it's it's worth mentioning that this is a guy whose job is creating propaganda that looks good enough for Russian state media uh, to run with it and, and for them to portray the U.S. as falling apart. And, oh, there's all this support for Russia and the United States. It's not real, but it it can help the domestic audience believe that Russia's war of choice is justified and it's not so unpopular as the lying liberal western media says it is yeah well that's what he does when he's not providing obscure military consulting services for foreign dictators or helping convicted russian spy maria botina pay her legal bills yeah and (laughs) poor poor (laughs) maria botina yeah Mm mm-hmm Thankfully, she has friends like Ayanov to help her out. That's so kind. So kind. Yeah, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll link to some of our coverage of Ayanov in the show notes. And he's another soldier in the information war with a rather diverse portfolio. He did his part, and now he's been indicted by the DOJ, and he's safe as long as he stays in Russia. But if he ever decides to leave... Yeah, we'll, we'll see. He wouldn't be the first guy to get caught while he's vacationing in Greece. <laughs> it, it does happen. So you might mm-hmm. want to stick to Crimea, at least while Russia still holds it. That's a increasingly feels like a TBD, but we can talk some more about that later. Uh, but going back to Randy Nord a little bit, I think another thing that is interesting is that, well, at least according to her, she's on the radar of DHS Right. And by her account, Department of Homeland Security had some questions about her potential connections to Iran. Here's a clip of Nord talking about it from the Liberty Conservative podcast (laughs) featuring noted leftists Shane Trejo and Rocco Lucente. 
So Randy Nord is back with us today. She is a foreign policy reporter from Geopolitics Alert. Glad to have you back, Randy. Hey, thanks for having me today. Glad to be back. Well, uh, you have an interesting story about uh, something that happened to you at the airport. You were unlawfully detained. Uh, care to go into exactly what happened there? Uh, yeah, I was coming back from Lebanon, and um, after I grabbed my bags and was getting ready to head out the door, they pulled me aside and made me put all my bags through additional security, and they opened everything up, and then they took me in the secret room for DHS, Department of Homeland Security. Um, they made me hand over my phones and computers. And, of course, I asked to speak to a lawyer, and they tried to intimidate me and say that that meant I was guilty, but I persisted. And they still said, well, this is an airport, so you don't you don't get a lawyer. So after that, I just said, well, screw it, just take my phones and go through them, um, because otherwise I knew they were just going to seize them and then hold me as long as they felt like it. So for four hours, I sat there while they went through everything in my phone, um, and all my laptops. <laughs> so, do you suspect this was done because of the um, all the, the hostilities that were uh, have been going on in Iran and that situation heating up? Yeah, they kind of used that as like a pretense for pulling me aside and asking me if I was here, if I was sent back to carry out a terror attack um, or set up a sleeper cell. Um, but you could, they kept reiterating that they knew I was a journalist. Um, and the questions about violence were very minimal compared to asking about um, things I know and people I know. So it seemed like it was more after they, they immediately ruled out nothing violent. And then after that, they more just wanted to kind of collect as much intel from my devices as they could. So that seemed like the, the priority. Hold on. I'm being told we have that. Backwards. Oh, you can't, can't be true. No, no, no. Rocco Lucente and Shane Trejo are not actually leftists. They are, in fact, extremely right-wing. According to Kelly Wall at The Daily Beast, Trejo used to host a podcast called Blood, Soil, and Liberty. His co-host was a guy named Alex Witoslavsky, who at one point was a member of a group called Identity Europa and a former writer for the white nationalist site American Renaissance. Rocco himself has been known to post on Twitter things about how Stuart Rhodes did nothing wrong. And it really just is not a very leftist position for these guys to be taking. And you got to wonder. You know, it does so like a tell when we see blood and soil. Any Anybody that's... Uh, yeah. <laughs> anybody that's doubting anything to do with blood and soil. They they may be far enough right to be called third positionist, uh, but mm -hmm. they are certainly entering that chat from the right and not yes. the left. So... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the whole Nosbol, right? The the whole idea mm -hmm. of the Nosbols, which are the third position. Go ahead and just remind yourself of what the first three letters of that one are. Uh, uh -huh. Yeah, in A Z. You're just fast. missing an I. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So we'll leave the article in the show notes, but the TLDR here is that both of these guys are complete white nationalist scum. They're not people anybody who calls themselves a leftist would want anything to do with oh but i'm so confused what's a diehard leftist doing on their podcast griff 
Well, I'm glad you asked, Jay, because this is the one thing they actually agree on. America is evil and must be destroyed. So it's reflex for both sides here to defend anyone who takes a side against the USA, even if it means making common cause with white nationalists. In their eyes, the U.S. is the greater evil here, so they do what they got to do to get that message out. Yeah, even if it means going on white nationalist podcasts and doing anti-Semitic false flag attacks. And really, the whole left versus right dynamic goes out the window with a lot of these people because pick right or left, Randy Nord or Shane Trejo, they have a hell of a lot more in common with each other than they do with normie Republicans or Democrats. And this is what we mean when we talk about the third position. Exactly. Well, switching gears here to the war in Ukraine and events in Russia, there has been plenty of news. So let's cover as much of it as possible. Uh, First of all, the Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich, who was detained on trumped up espionage charges, will remain detained in Russia for at least another three months. And that's no big surprise. This is how the Kremlin operates. But I would hope that you keep Evan in your thoughts and prayers. If you search for the hashtag I stand with Evan or free Evan on social media, or if you want to visit the Wall Street Journal's website, you can find ways to hopefully help Evan get home. Uh, There's an Evan Gershkovich tab on the Wall Street Journal's homepage that links you to the latest updates on his situation. And though we obviously use the phrase, did nothing wrong in a tongue-in-cheek way here on this podcast, Evan Gershkovich really did nothing wrong. We hope he can get home soon. Indeed. Meanwhile, Russia's war of choice in Ukraine marches on with the Russian military claiming victory in the city of Bakhmut after months of bloody fighting there. Here's George Wright with the BBC with the latest. For a little bit of context, uh, remember that Yevgeny Prigozhin is the head of the Russian mercenary group Wagner. His semi-independent fighting group consists of a large number of Russian convicts, and his forces took the brunt of the casualties fighting Ukraine in Bakhmut. Here's the BBC. The head of Russia's Wagner mercenary group, has announced that its forces have started withdrawing from the Ukrainian city of Bakhmut. Yevgeny Prigozhin has vowed to transfer control of the city to the Russian army by June 1st, but Kiev says it still controls pockets of the city. He said, Prigozhin said his forces were ready to return if the Russian regular army proved unable to manage the situation. The battle for the city has been the longest and bloodiest of the war. Wagner mercenaries have led the fighting there for the Russian side, and Mr. Pergozin this week said that 20,000 of its fighters had died in Bakhmut. Quote, we are withdrawing units from Bakhmut today, Mr. Pergozin said in a video released on Telegram from the destroyed city. BBC Verify has geolocated the video to an area near a pharmacy in the east of Bakhmut. I'm going to pause the article and summarize for a bit here. Basically, Prigozhin has been extremely critical of top Russian military officials for failing to adequately resupply his forces and for their overall efforts throughout the war. There was even a recent report from the Washington Post that Prigozhin offered to supply Ukraine with Russian troop positions if the Ukrainians would pull out of Bakhmut and allow Wagner to declare victory there. Of course, Prigozhin denies this happened. And even now, Ukraine has not fully withdrawn from Bakhmut. Let me continue reading the BBC report now. Ukraine's Deputy Defense Minister Hanna Maliar said on Thursday that its forces still control part of the Litak district in the southwest of the city. 
The enemy has replaced Wagner units in the suburbs with regular army troops. Inside the town proper, Wagner forces are still present, she posted on Telegram. The U.S. also has said that it believes 20,000 Russian soldiers have died in the battle for Bakhmut with another 80,000 wounded. The thing that gets me about all this is the pro-Russian account celebrating the capture of Bakhmut right now. If they, they haven't already taken the city, then yeah, it's pretty likely they will soon enough. But uh, honestly, at what cost? There's 20,000 dead and another 80,000 wounded. Are, are you really celebrating this as a glorious victory? I, I mean, Russia's total invasion force at the beginning of this war was less than 200,000. 10% of that number died taking or almost taking Bakhmut. And yeah, some of these guys are convicts and literal cannon fodder, but still, uh, Russia cannot sustain these numbers. This is not some sort of sign of a turning point in the war. It feels like the very definition of a Pyrrhic victory to me. Right, right. And the whole idea of a Pyrrhic victory is that it's a victory that comes at such a high cost that at the end of it, you have to ask, was it worth it? In the process of winning the battle, did you lose so much that you've actually lost the war? And I think that's very much what we're looking at with Bakhmut. Russia gets a minor tactical victory of questionable significance, but how long can they keep it? How much weaker are their defenses in other areas as a result? How many tanks were lost? How much ammunition was expended to take this city? I think in the end, it's really hard to consider this some sort of resounding victory. It's it's a Pyrrhic victory. Yeah, and, and the spinning of pro-Kremlin mouthpieces doing this is it's to be expected. It's a minor victory, but the war has absolutely not been going well for Russia, and they need to act like this is something that it isn't. And uh, I'm sure we'll see more of this get boosted. As I'm speaking, I'm just imagining all the nonsense they're ginning up in the RT studios right now. But at least at least one Russian state media source, it's Channel One, they compared the capture of Bakhmut to the capture of Berlin in 1945, <laughs> which, I mean, <laughs> come on. Okay. Like, it's, it's laughable. It, it, the capture of Berlin effectively ended the fighting in the European theater in World War II. And the uh, alleged almost capture of Bakhmut ends nothing. Uh, yeah, it's who had, who had heard of Bakhmut before six yeah. months or a year ago? It's uh, I think most people knew that Berlin ex- existed, mm-hmm. but uh, we had the Olympics there. Um rather rather right. memorable scenes but <laughs> i don't i don't have any great recollection of bakhmut i i if you know anyone from that city i'm sure it's a was, was at one a point a perfectly fine place to live uh but russia made sure that that is not true anymore and it's hey a lot of people haven't heard of my hometown it's 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 okay it's not a big deal just let's not compare it to new york city or tokyo or what have you so it's laughable, but this is what they do. Uh, the Russians are are going to keep claiming this is an apocalyptic scenario for the Ukrainians, and it just it just isn't. The ZSU, <laughs> the Ukrainian Armed Forces, they certainly sustain significant losses here, but it it's nothing close to what Russia lost taking Bakhmut. And the Ukrainians are still getting supplies 
from the West and there's still talk of a pending counteroffensive. And it's, it's not clear that Russia has the strength to stop what's coming. The, the far right critics of the Russian military, including Wagner's leader, Prigozhin, have, have said this themselves. It's a fair question to ask at this point. Speaking of the Western aid to Ukraine, another bit of news emerged in the last week. The Biden administration approved the training of Ukrainian pilots to fly American F-16s. This is the first step needed to actually begin supplying Ukraine with F-16s, which the Ukrainians have been asking for since basically the start of the war. This could be a real game changer if it gets final approval. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg confirmed the training had been approved and had this to say. Announcing clearly that they will start training, this is an important step that partly will enable us to deliver fighter jets at some stage. Stoltenberg said this before meeting with EU defense ministers. He also said that it proved that the West wouldn't stand down in the face of Russia, saying that such a decision is sending a very clear signal that we are there for the long term and Russia cannot weigh us out. Yeah, and that really is the fear and and concern. And if the West can hold steady and stay on course, stay united, then Ukraine's prospects look very good. We are hoping and praying and mm-hmm. whatever, whatever your faith guides you to, that that is the course of action that continues going forward. So the final bit of news I wanted to mention was an apparent attack by pro-Ukrainian Russian mercenary forces on a border outpost in Russia's southwest Belgorod region, spilling over into Russian territory. Now, if that whole sentence sounds really confusing, well, the whole scenario is entirely confusing. I saw somebody mention on Twitter that was this all just, was this attack carried out as a troll? And is is it the first, yeah, like essentially a attack of the war that was really just a, a giant real life trolling operation. And I think it's a fair question because I I can't make sense of it. I don't know that anyone is really willing to do that. The any, anyone of of repute or note is really willing to (laughs) stick their neck out for this one. But the, the casualty figures and the number of forces engaged were relatively small, but the whole thing is just tough to make sense of Russia blamed Ukraine. Ukraine said these were anti Kremlin Russian partisans that were not under Kiev's control. The Russian wouldn't give concrete figures on casualties, but they said some Russian civilians were killed in the attack or attacks. The only thing I'm going to say about this is that throughout the war, a lot of these stories have popped up. There were recent drone attacks in Moscow near the Kremlin that are being kind of handled in a similar clusterfucked fashion. <laughs> Moscow blames Kiev. Kiev denies any involvement. Various Western intelligence leaks kind of point in both directions and everybody's hedging their bets. So I feel like with a lot of this, we'll probably never know what the truth of it is. Or if we do, it might be in 50 years or long after we're dead. So I, it is what it is. It's a war. We're dealing with two intelligence services who were proven themselves very good at information warfare, disinformation, propaganda. They deploy active measures aplenty to really obscure the reality on the ground. So if we don't, if if you are someone who pays attention to this stuff in your own time and you think, well, why didn't they cover that? 
it's usually not that we're not aware of it or not following it. It's it's that we're admitting our own limitations of knowing what the truth is here. This war is at times a riddle wrapped in a Czechist mystery. They've been doing this for a really long time, folks, and sometimes the confusion is the point. Well, in other news that's not even remotely confusing or all that surprising, the NAACP issued a warning to tourists considering a visit to Florida last weekend. And, of course, the right is very mad about it. Mm-hmm. Here's, uh, here's Curtis Munn mm-hmm. with NBC News. The NAACP's travel advisory for black people considering a visit or move to Florida has less to do with potential travelers and more to do with rallying the black residents of the state to counter Republican-led policies, member, members of the civil rights organization told NBC News. Leon W. Russell, the chairman of the NAACP National Board of Directors, who lives in Tampa, said the travel advisory was an informational and strategic tactic to galvanize black voters, especially black men, against Republican Governor Ron DeSantis. Quote, let me be clear, we're not calling for a boycott or a travel ban. We're trying, we're saying to black people who come to the state or who are thinking about coming to the state that you need to be aware of what's going on here and you need to think about how you're going to be impacted by this hate and cruelty that is being generated. You need to consider whether or not you're going to be safe, Russell said. The NAACP advisory reads, Florida is openly hostile towards African-Americans, people of color, and LGBTQ individuals. Before traveling to Florida, please understand that the state of Florida devalues and marginalizes the contributions of and the challenges faced by African-Americans and other communities of color. With more than 137 million tourists visiting Florida last year, this is obviously a huge part of the state's economy. And the DeSantis folks aren't happy at all about this statement from the NAACP, but I'm not sure what's wrong about it. The NBC article went on to say, DeSantis has said Florida is where, quote, woke goes to die, unquote. He doubled down on his comment in January when his administration said it would block a new advanced placement African-American studies course from being taught in public high schools, prompting some black parents to say that they will teach the history at home to ensure that their children are well-versed. DeSantis has also been vocal about banning the teaching of critical race theory in public schools and about other policies that some consider to be anti-gay or anti-immigration. Yeah, I just wanted to say that blocking the AP African-American studies course. Yeah, they did that. And DeSantis's, I guess, chief educational advisor, Mr. Chris Rufo, cheered that on with Darren Beatty on Twitter. Uh, Darren Beatty actually got mad that I pointed this out, uh, in part because Darren Beatty is the fellow who was fired from the Trump White House for being a speaker at a white nationalist event in 2016. I'm just going to go ahead and repeat that because I feel like I didn't say it slowly enough. Darren Beatty <laughs> was fired from the Trump White House for his links to white nationalists. And here's Chris Rufo on Twitter saying, good job. We're in agreement. We're buddies. We're pals. Yeah, that this was a good call by the state of Florida <laughs> with Beatty on Twitter. And oh, yeah. Me, simple, simple podcaster that I am. Don't point that out or we're going to get real mad online at you. 
<laughs> Beatty, essentially, what did he tell you to stay in your place and get him a drink or something like that? Uh, well, yeah, I asked what uh, what college I went to, and and I'm, you know, I did go to a state school, so I am certainly uh, <laughs> certainly less than him. <laughs> Not the one you got fired from, pal. <laughs> The advisory, Russell said, stands for multiple and intersecting marginalized communities. If you are part of any of these communities, black, Latino, LGBTQ, or if you stand in support of these communities, you need to work with us to think about a proactive civic engagement policy, because this, at the end of the day, is about politics, he said. I should clarify, there's no evidence that Darren Beatty got fired from Duke. He was a visiting lecturer. They just haven't renewed his contract or brought him back. After all, the controversy that got him fired from the Trump White House. You do the math. The Trump White House fired, fired him, him for being a racist. <laughs> fired uh, him from the Trump White House. Stephen yeah. Miller never got fired from the Trump White House. Yeah, and that's because they eventually just decided they don't care anymore. They don't they don't give a fuck anymore. I think that is the the very clear and inherent difference in if there is a second Trump term compared to the first because in the mm-hmm. first Aaron Beatty got fired for links to white nationalists. Steve Bannon got fired because maybe he had friction with Trump or maybe he lean too heavily into unite the right. And that was it. I mean, there were various theories, but I think it's entirely plausible that Steve Bannon went too extreme too quickly and it just irked enough people to get him kicked out. They also fired Mike Flynn because he lied to the FBI. I mean, remember, remember the four times, the simple times back when lying to the (laughs) FBI was a bad thing and you might actually face some repercussions for it. Even you might even lose your job because lying to the FBI is a crime. It's actually it's a felony, in fact, and it is not a deep state plot. It is, in fact, either you tell the truth or you don't. And he lied and then he got fired. It was six years ago now, but it may as well have been 600 as far as these people are concerned, because they don't even remember that story, that reality, that world. We don't live there anymore. We live in Trump 2.0, which is fascist. (laughs) It's not fucking around with couching the rhetoric or hiding who they are. It's it's a fascist movement. So ran off. Here's very, very serious person. Janine Pirro's reaction to the NAACP travel advisory for Florida over at Fox News. You would think that if the NAACP wanted to issue a travel advisory to African-Americans, black Americans, they would say, you know what? Don't go to Chicago. Don't go to Baltimore. Don't go to cities where gangs are more likely to kill you if you're black. But the truth is that the NAACP isn't concerned about blacks. They're only concerned about a political narrative, political ideology. And that ideology is Ron DeSantis is a bad man. And I think Al Sharpton said he was erasing African-American history, you know, um, which is kind of rich coming from the group that has been tearing down our statues and, and, and basically taking the names of presidents off of schools and high schools. But but they're. Their agenda is not about being concerned for African-Americans. It's just political. And I think that in recent years, so much has come out that I don't know if everyone else feels this way, but I really feel like everyone like gets it now. The hypocrisy is so great. It's so in your face. The veil has been pulled back. Everybody knows that when people are in politics and or 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 a part of something that doesn't make sense, you know, it's because they've got a political payback coming. 
for them. Mm-hmm. It's just different now. Uh huh. Thank, th- thank you, Janine. So, <laughs> yeah, right. The right can be as mad as they like about the story, but I think uh, the overall point to remember is most of the country is is still not that political. They they may not even have heard that much about what's changing in Florida. How because it's it's happened pretty quickly, and it's it's easy to not pay attention to this stuff and not care and not know how serious these changes are. But we're talking about pretty significant upheaval. DeSantis has recently signed into law a six-week abortion ban. They're soon implementing their version of constitutional carry in Florida, which means you don't (laughs) need a permit to carry a firearm in public. Uh, The recent change made it a felony to provide trans healthcare services to minors in the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. The classroom changes uh, have included changes on what is allowed with instruction in terms of the so-called don't say gay bill, where teachers are limited on what they're allowed to reference with sexuality and gender identity to the point that some teachers who are gay feel like they can't even display photos of their significant other on their desk because they're afraid of potential backlash. And I think that that's the kind of thing that's the right says, Oh, well, you know, you just want to trans our kids and you know, we just want to stop that. And that's bad. But then you start to talk to the actual people and you're like, okay, here is a lesbian or gay man who is married and maybe has kids with their spouse. And like any other couple wants to display the photos and their affection for their loved one. And they're afraid to do that. And I don't think that's wrong or ridiculous. I think I, I I get it. I understand. (laughs) And that's where Florida is at right now. And if you're a minority or a marginalized group, I think you're rightfully worried. And we think you're right to be worried. We really do, because, I mean, for God's sakes, retired Miami Heat basketball star Dwayne Wade recently announced that he and his family were relocating from Florida to California, in part because of concern over the safety and access to health care for their 15-year-old trans daughter, Zaya. Wade said he loves Miami, but, quote, the last couple of years, the laws, the politics, you know, have become this really big conversation, right? It's an unsafe conversation. It's unsafe for my daughter. It's unsafe for the young kids. It's unsafe for the youth and adults, the elders in the trans community, unquote, Wade said, quote, and so for us, as much as I love the city, as much as I'm always going to be a part of it for the safety of my family, that's what it was. I couldn't move back, unquote. And we get it. I don't blame him one bit. One other story that came out that oh, the, the books yes. that are being some of the books that are being banned in Florida. So Amanda Gorman, the poet who read at the Biden administration, young African American woman, got her books pulled by a woman who claimed that they were too sympathetic towards the Cuban government. She made a huge stink out of it. They pulled her books. Well, the press got into it. They started digging and they found out that this woman has some awfully interesting opinions, including posting the clips from the famous 
Russian special services hoax, the protocols of the learned elders of Zion on her Facebook page. Which is... Yes, complete hoax. The most anti-Semitic trope of tropes. But, and it's sorry, been used yes. to justify the murders of Jews. Since blood it libel. Written. It's, it's literal blood libel here. Yeah. Yeah. And when she was called on this, said, I didn't really read it. I just saw the words communism and decided to post it. Yeah. And shout out to uh, Miami against fascism, because I believe mm-hmm. they were the first ones to uncover this and and get it out into the mainstream. But yeah, they also in their in their reporting and research, they pointed out that this woman who's attempted to ban a number of books in Florida and was posting memes referencing the most anti-Semitic trope of all tropes was also photographed at events standing proudly next to one Enrique Tario, the perhaps once and current and possibly future king of the Proud Boys. And (laughs) this woman named Daly Salinas is right in the midst of the far-right culture war antics and is apparent has as much right as anyone else in Florida to get books banned. But I don't want to say these are not the unforeseen consequences of the new laws passed by Ron DeSantis. These are the entirely predictable consequences where you have books that are, I think, unjustifiably banned by alleged bigots who are big fans of anti-Semitic screeds and the Proud Boys. And gosh, I don't think they should be the ones making you, oh, the trans educators are, mm, they're so bad. But Uh yeah, should this woman be deciding what is and is not allowed in your child's library? I'm going to quote from what she told the Jewish Telegraphic Agency when they asked her about it. Quote, they have to read for me because I'm not an expert, Salinas told JTA. I'm not a reader. I'm not a book person. I'm not involved in my children's education. And yet somehow she gets to decide these things. Because that's all it takes. And and the state of Florida errs on the mm-hmm. side of caution. Yes, if it if it could potentially have some troubling things to say, troubling, so concerning, <laughs> looking into it. <laughs> Seriously. If it's all it takes. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, good books, historical Pulitzer Prize winning books have some raunchy subjects and topics and they are definitely controversial at times, but that's often what makes them good and important and necessary. This is such a bad idea. Where does that road stop? Where does that road stop? Yeah. What's the final stop on the road of we are banning anything that makes us feel uncomfortable or our ideas look bad. It's just not a great place to be. And, you know, you really hate to call people fascists without some kind of real good reason to do so. But that's the first thing the fascists do. Yeah. Yeah. The books that we don't like. So Mm -hmm. here we are. Well, speaking of fascists, there's an article by Sophia Kai in Axios called 
Trump's 2025 vision revealed. I'm sorry. It's just you speaking of fascists. It's like, well, <laughs> what number is this on today's podcast? Speaking what? of fascists, you know what? We could just change the title at some point to speaking of fascists, and it would probably actually be pretty accurate. Fascists did something wrong today. On mm, Fascists <laughs> always doing something wrong. Always doing something wrong. Mm, yep. <laughs> Well, this article is fascinating because it's a list of all the various statements and stands that Trump has said he wants to accomplish in his second term. Yeah, a lot of ink gets spilled and arguments for and against get made about whether or not Donald Trump is a fascist or whether or not that's a misuse of the word and how calling him that makes him seem maybe even sympathetic and no, it actually normalizes fascism. We've talked about this, talked about it earlier. I could go on talking about it. But I think there's smart people on both sides of that argument. I am not saying otherwise. But let's let's zoom out a little bit so you can view the whole thing. And the Axios piece is really great for that because it's an overview of what the guy's wish list looks like based on his own statements. And... Plenty of people are going to say that he'll never get this stuff. This is all a pipe dream because checks and balances and norms, all those norms that we're <laughs> still upholding. <laughs> yeah, every uh, both. Mm. Uh, yeah, no. Well, those are nice thoughts. But uh, as we've seen over the past few years, I don't know. The checks and balances, they aren't they aren't checking and balancing the way that they're supposed to. And uh, you see that recently with Clarence Thomas and his benefactor, his perhaps sugar daddy, Harlan Crow, <laughs> and that whole scandal, as well as the state of the house GOP. I mean, Kevin McCarthy isn't calling for George Santos, the the artist formerly known as Anthony DeVolder, now uh, George Santos, to resign after he was hit with a 13-count indictment. And it's barely even news. Like he's yep. he's not calling for Santos to resign, and a few people mentioned that the day of, and it's just it's gone. It didn't even it didn't even make it a day. It made it like a couple hours, and we're just mm-hmm. on to the next thing. And the Senate is less terrible, but again, look at the state of the Supreme Court and whose obstruction got us here. Well, looking at you, Mitch McConnell. So the oh, that's bad. The IRS isn't effectively staffed to do their job. I, I don't know if you've tried to call them recently or <laughs> settle any. Yeah. You, you have a problem with your tax return. Give it about 18 months and you might get it fixed then. So they're not staffed. Meanwhile, Ted Cruz is tweeting about abolishing the IRS. Just go search from Ted mm-hmm. Cruz, quote, abolish the IRS, unquote. And it's like once a month. Gosh, so why would he want to do that? I can't imagine. Can't imagine if his American oligarch friends would consider that a huge favor to their mm-hmm. cause and the, the cause being their their wallets and oh yeah. How many well listen, Griff, their their yacht needs a backup yacht and that one needs a backup yacht. And if all three don't have a helipad on them, then what in the fuck are we even doing here, man? Exactly, exactly. What kind of world? So realistically, there's a non-zero chance that Trump in a second term might tear down enough walls to get some or maybe even most of what he wants off of this list. So if the argument against him being a fascist is that the system will stop him, 
<clears throat> I think it's worth visualizing a future where it doesn't. Yeah, the system. Yeah. Yeah. During Trump's recent CNN town hall, he, what did he promise? Well, he said he would pardon the January 6th rioters and immediately bring an end to the war in Ukraine. And we know he's used pardon power to pardon some extremely guilty people before. Hey, Mike Flynn. Hey, Roger Stone. Hey, Paul Manafort. So uh, we have every reason to believe he's absolutely serious about this. And absolutely, uh, again, Trump, Trump term one had guardrails. I just want, mm-hmm. I just want people to visit, like there were guardrails. They were, they were wobbling. They were falling off. They, uh, the studs are coming out of the wall, but they were still there. Mm-hmm. So think about that for a minute. All the people who trashed the Capitol January 6th, go free with clean records. That's 500 plus people at this point. And the lesson they learned is it's okay. As long as your guy wins. Yeah. Correct. As long as your guy wins, you'll get off the hook. So fuck the rule of law. Hey, do you want to come to Washington, D.C. this weekend? We got a fun little shindig planned at the <laughs> imp- I, I, granted. And that's honestly these people by and large and their families. I mean, they're their Facebook telegram groups dedicated to the January 6th detainees or political prisoners. Like for the most part, these people are still solidly in that camp. And even if they say, oh, uh, Trump has abandoned us and he hasn't done enough. And 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 they, okay, they mean that in the moment. But if he even offer the, offers these people the tiniest olive branch, they are right back on that Trump train. Mm-hmm. He also said that he's going to end the war in Ukraine. He can't actually do that. What he can do is to cut off U.S. aid to Ukraine, which would make it much more likely that Russia prevails in their war of choice. And he also wants to give the president, meaning him, the Mm -hmm. authority to hire and fire federal workers at will. Not a new idea, but now part of the broad effort to clean out investigators and officials he sees as disloyal or who have questioned his conduct. And... Honestly, they're openly discussing on Twitter and all the other platforms they use how to root out the the liberals, the deep state, the wrong thinkers. They are not kidding around with this. They want to clean house. Mm -hmm. And as we saw, definitely towards the end of his first term, he's going to do this. He is more than willing to do this. If they're they're again, no guardrails. He's going to bring on as many of his cronies and stooges as he can. And their primary qualification is going to be loyalty to Donald Trump. He also wants to fire the radical left officials who accredit universities, reward schools that abolish tenure for teachers, eliminate many college administrators, and remove diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. So he's going to change the way kids get taught and basically indoctrinate them in whatever guys like Chris Rufo and Darren Beatty are selling this year. Yeah, and I think Chris Rufo is definitely team DeSantis right now. But if DeSantis gets curb stomped, which we, again, think is rather likely, Mm -hmm. uh, Chris Rufo is going to be right in line begging for a job from Mr. Trump. And if you liked Betsy DeVos as the Secretary of Education, you're going to love Chris Rufo as the Secretary of Education. Oh, my God. Tell me I'm wrong. 
No, I I, <laughs> I think you're right. I think he's the number one contender for Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. Mm-hmm. And, and look, Trump also said right after he was indicted in New York that he wanted to defund the Justice Department and the FBI. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but he's certainly going to try and he's certainly going to have some people willing to try for him. <laughs> he is going to reshape the DOJ and U.S. intelligence in his own image, which just ponder that for a moment. Totally something that all innocent people do. Yeah, totally. Definitely. He's he's also vowing to get rid of the the Marxist prosecutors, which I guess Ooh. is another way of saying the Soros, the Soros DAs, Soros DAs, Marxist prosecutors. Those are his preferred epithets for anyone who charges him and create an auditing. He wants to create some kind of auditing system to monitor U.S. intelligence agencies, perhaps in the uh, I I don't know. Maybe those reports will be written in Cyrillic. It'd be interesting to (laughs) see what that looks like. But yeah, we wouldn't want we wouldn't want U.S. intelligence to be spying on our citizens. That would be that would be bad. Nope, not at all. He also wants the DOJ to investigate, quote unquote, big pharma and the big hospital networks to determine whether they have, quote, deliberately covered up the long term effects of sex transitions. He also wants to boot hospitals or providers from Medicaid and Medicare if they offer gender affirming care. So he's doubling down on the transphobia and continuing to other them. Yeah, because no fascist ever used the presence of a visible minority group to rally their supporters and give them a target to blame for the degenerate state of society. (laughs) Nothing to see here. Yeah, I love that he's just given up on, hey, hospital costs, pharmacy costs, healthcare is essentially a GoFundMe independent operation at this point. We're not... We're not going to try to fix that. He tried that. He failed. Let's no, we're just going to it's just the trans kids. It's yep. we're just yep. going to That's go after. the entire healthcare agenda for a Trump second term at this point is like beat up the trans kids. Yeah, get really popular with libs of TikTok. That's mm-hmm. that's Trump 2.0. Yeah, and he also wants to invade mexico he uh, really yes, he does he wants to use the u.s military to go after drug cartels and st- street crime uh never mind that the Posse comitatus act of 1878 explicitly bars federal troops from participating in civilian law enforcement but hey what are what are laws anyway yeah you never know it might work i mean mexico tried this under president felipe calderon in 2006 and so far, according to the Council on Foreign Relations, they've racked up over 350,000 homicides. Oh, but they won the war, right? Actually, no. It's getting far worse. The cartels have de facto control over large sections of Mexican society, and they operate with absolute impunity. But I'm sure nothing like that would happen here, as we only have 20 times the amount of guns in circulation as Mexico does, and a huge chunk of military-age men who are either underemployed or unemployed, and generally dissatisfied with the current state of things. (laughs) Ah, Everything is fine! Just look at Jack Teixeira! Yes. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, the real way that boy went wrong was not just becoming a content creator, uh, but in any case, <laughs> he, he could have found a niche. I'm just saying. We laugh um, so we don't cry. 
Uh, but at least you won't have to see it because, hey, Trump wants uh, national concealed carry reciprocity. Fun. There is no yeah. state. There is no state where you are safe from the good guy with a gun. Oh, fuck. <laughs> ah, never mind if he's a drunk 16 year old and I fuck. I mean, I, I guess it's not legal for a 16-year-old yet, but honestly, it's like, give it six months. There's Second just, Amendment doesn't say anything about age. Uh, which, yeah, it, it would allow, it, Trump's new plan would allow a concealed carry permit in their home state to have that privilege in any other state. Which, so yeah, even, even people who live in hippie Antifa states like you, Griff, are going to have to respect the people's God-given right to concealed carry. Uh, this this very well-regulated militia is coming to a, to a, a street corner near you. <laughs> Trump has also taken credit for the Supreme Court overturning abortion rights under Roe versus Wade, a decision that was made possible by three Trump-appointed justices. So if you're a woman thinks you have the right to your own health care choices, think again. And he is proud of this. I'm the one who got rid of Roe. Yes, he mm-hmm. keeps saying that on interviews. Uh, please again. remember that in November of 2024 when you go to vote, please. And and please think of me as I listen to this shit. <laughs> <laughs> we should point out here that many of Trump's ideas are outlined in rather broad strokes. It's what he does. It's what the Republican Party does now. It's you remember Kevin McCarthy's plan for the House in 2022 was... Oh, like take over the world and rid <laughs> rid our streets of Soros and all this stuff that like there's no they don't do policy they don't do plans they do like you know some sort of I mean honestly it's almost well um, dare I say it's like communism esque in in terms of their uh, hope well, I know I know I went there but it's their, uh-huh. their hope for the magical happy ending and better world where we're all at peace. If only George Soros stops funding all these fucking DAs and these liberal hellhole cities. George <laughs> Snowball Soros, as it were. Fuck. Fuck. All right. Without details, you know, being really included of what's being implemented, we know these are ideas that they want to have happen. So the people, and he's going to hire and and bring on people who are, gleefully going to champion these causes and purge anyone who stands in their way. So this is simply a non-exhaustive picture of what Trump wants to do in a second term. And we can assume that there will be great vengeance taken upon his opponents, political and otherwise, because this man is all about revenge. Retribution. Yeah. Uh This is the guy who said my motto is always get even when somebody screws you, screw them back in spades. And he definitely feels screwed over the 2020 election and all four years of of witch hunts that wanted to know why his campaign officials kept having these sketchy as fuck conversations with <laughs> weird Russian dudes with obscure past. So but anyway, I, so I think it's fair to say that a lot of people are going to get screwed pretty hard in a second Trump term. And when you look at it all laid out like this, it is worth asking if it's really unfair. Is it really unfair to call this guy a fascist in the way that term is commonly applied? Seems pretty fair to me, actually. Yeah, I I don't think he's a a Nazi. And I know that is a lot of times what people associate with fascism. But there are other flavors of 
fascism. And just I, because I think it's this not is... from the fascisty region of Italy, you know. <laughs> it can be fascism. Uh, I just think it's ticking a lot of the boxes. And I think it's worth pointing out that if this is not the future that you want for you and your children, then you and we and all of us need to make sure that we do everything between now and 2024 to make sure it doesn't happen. And that's going to mean getting off the internet, getting out into the real world, finding a campaign to volunteer for and doing everything you can to make sure that those ballots get cast at the end of the day. Please don't make me. I don't want to. I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Touch, touching grass with your feet. Yep. The horror. Oh, yeah. Because uh, this is one vision of the future and it's it's pretty fucking grim. You know, it is. But. In the words of the great Joe Strummer, late singer of The Clash, the future is unwritten. Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can go to didnothingwrongpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word four, and the letter M, all one word, and Grizza, B-J-J, G-R-Z-A, B-J-J, as well as DNW Pod. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.